0: Trump acts like the big dog, but she won't let the dog into her house because she knows he's going to poop everywhere.
1: Okay, Really? We started with a poop joke?
2: <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Where are we going from here? I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off
1: my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right Here
2: I am, stuck in the middle with you Yep Yes, I'm stuck in
1: the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The broadcast As heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA Also up in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI Round Mountain, California is KKRN And in Eureka, California on KGOE Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW. Also heard in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui-Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Fine affiliates all blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com, just trying to keep up with it all. Um, despite Desi Doyen insisting that we begin today's show with a poop uh, poop joke, as she did.
2: Well, I did find it to be an appropriate poop joke for for
1: what it's worth. (laughs) Let's start, nonetheless, nonetheless, let's start with some good news today. Uh, Where we got it, we need to use it. There ain't a lot. So uh, let's start here. Tens of thousands... Los Angeles teachers returned to work on Wednesday after voting to ratify a contract deal between their union and school officials, ending a six day strike at the nation's second largest school district where the sun was shining again today after many days of very cold and soggy picketing and uncertainty. Over the past week of driving rain, Uh, so there's some good news. The return to a normal day across the vast district out here where we are followed days of marches and picketing and then a marathon bargaining session over the past weekend that led to a ratification vote on Tuesday night. The deal to open the schools back up. Includes a 6% pay hike for teachers and a commitment to reduce class sizes over the next four years. Beside the pay raise and the class size reductions, the contract deal also adds more than 600 nursing positions over the next three school years. Teachers had been complaining that some schools had only had a nurse on campus one day a week. I know when I was a kid, we had one there every day uh, because you didn't know what day you were going to need a nurse. Additionally, counselors and librarians are also part of the planned increase in support staff. Teachers roared their approval after the tentative deal was announced at City Hall following a 21-hour bargaining session. Wow. The mayor, Mayor Eric Garcetti, out here, uh, accompanied by leaders of United Teachers Los Angeles and the L.A. Unified School District, called it an historic agreement that will usher in a new day for public education in the city. Well, we could use a new day here. That deal in L.A. came as teachers in Denver, Colorado voted to go on strike as soon as next Monday. The main sticking point there is increasing base pay and lessening teachers' reliance on one-time bonuses for having students with high test scores or working in high-poverty schools. Yeah, you know, rather than uh, pay them these rewards like they're dogs uh, working for a treat, why don't you just pay them properly all throughout the year? Up in Oakland, California, some teachers called in sick last week as part of an unofficial rally over their contract negotiations up in the Bay Area. Those also hinge partly on a demand for smaller class sizes as well. Teachers across the country are continuing to build on the Red 4 Ed movement that began last year in West Virginia and moved to Oklahoma, Kentucky, Arizona from uh, walkouts in Republican-controlled states where so-called right-to-work laws limit the ability to strike, out here to the more progressive West Coast with stronger unions, including in Colorado and Washington State, and today in Los Angeles. So there's some uh, good news to start out your day.
2: That is great news.
1: And everything goes downhill from here. The uh, dumb, As usual. Yep. The dumb standoff that is meant to help nobody other than Donald Trump among his base, and even that is not happening, uh, continued today in Washington, D.C. as the longest federal government shutdown in U.S. history grinded, grounded on, I don't know. Ground on. Thank you, with its effects (laughs) being held, uh, being felt, I should say, all across the country. A poll just out within the last hour from Associated Press N.O.R.C. Center for Public Affairs Research finds Trump's numbers are plummeting over this shutdown overall. Now, just 34 percent of Americans approve of Trump's job performance, according to this brand new survey that is down from 42 percent a month earlier, almost 10 percent down over this past month since the government has been shut down. The drop in approval comes as Trump begins his the third year of his presidency under the weight of the longest government shutdown in history, an international trade war that's straining the global economy and new revelations about his push for a real estate deal in Russia during the 2016 campaign. The new APNORC poll shows most Americans see the shutdown as a major problem, and they blame Trump far more than congressional Democrats for the mess.
2: Which is good, because as he said, he would take the blame for the shutdown that he caused. Well,
1: that's what he said initially before he then went on to try to blame Democrats and Nancy Pelosi. But yeah, the American people is, I guess, taking him at his word there that he would take the blame. They're giving him the blame.
2: Yeah, they're not falling for that.
1: Sixty percent of Americans say Trump bears a great deal of responsibility for the shutdown. Sixty five percent call the shutdown a major problem. And while Trump remains popular overall with Republicans still in this poll, three in 10 Republicans think that Trump bears a great deal of responsibility for it, while 73 percent of his party say he's at least partly responsible. So the Republican Party, which sticks by this guy uh, come hell or high water, uh, 73% of them are saying that, well, Trump is at least partly responsible. While partisan uh, opinions of Trump have remained relatively consistent throughout his presidency, the new poll shows that disapproval has grown particularly among independents. Just 28 percent. This is kind of ama- just 28 percent of independents now say they approve of the job that Trump is doing. That compared with 71 percent who disapprove 28 percent approval rating among independents, 34 percent overall across the country in December. of independents approved of Trump's job performance. So that's about a 10-point drop in approval and a 13-point increase in disapproval over the course of the shutdown among so-called independents. The poll was taken over the uh, week following Trump's primetime Oval Office address to the nation last week. Last Tuesday, I think.
2: Wow, I thought that was like a year ago. Yeah,
1: I know. Uh, But, yeah, so uh, that has not appeared to help, that speech. With that in mind, it seems, uh, frankly, impossible to imagine that Trump is going to win the ongoing fight over his State of the Union address, or that even if he did deliver that State of the Union address uh, next week, that it would help in any way. The uh, fight over the State of the Union continued today, with Trump saying... Essentially, he's doing it anyway, and Pelosi saying, no, no, you're not, at least not in my chamber. The White House uh, says that they are planning to proceed, or at least they did earlier this morning. Things change quickly around here, now that we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> the uh, White House says it is proceeding with plans for Trump to deliver a State of the Union speech in front of a joint session of Congress next Tuesday. The White House emailed a House U.S. House sergeant-at-arms asking to schedule a walkthrough in anticipation of the speech earlier today. But the president cannot speak in front of a joint session of Congress without both chambers' explicit permission. In her letter last week, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi questioned whether the Secret Service and Homeland Security could provide adequate security for the speech, Given that they are operating without money, without pay, and would have to protect the entire Congress, the president, his entire cabinet, the joint chiefs of the uh, of the military, the members of the Supreme Court who decide to show up, etc., during that address. But Trump said in a letter to uh, Pelosi that apparently he didn't care; he was going to do it anyway, despite the shutdown-related security concerns that led Pelosi to essentially uninvite uh, Trump in a letter to him last week. In Trump's letter replying to Pelosi on Wednesday, he dismissed the suggestion that he should postpone the speech or uh, deliver it in writing, as it had been for decades until I think Woodrow Wilson delivered it in person for the first time to a joint session of Congress. Due to security issues related to the shutdown, Pelosi uh, was sticking to her guns, uh, but Trump said there, quote, are no security concerns. Trump said he will fulfill his, quote, constitutional duty. Now, his constitutional duty is to report on the State of the Union to Congress from time to time. To deliver a primetime speech before a joint session, that is not a part of the Constitution, just in case he has never actually read it. In case he hasn't, uh, here's what it says. It says only the Constitution says only that the president, quote, shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union, meaning the president can speak anywhere he chooses or he can give an update in writing or whatever. Trump said in his letter that it, quote, would be very it would be so very sad for our country if the State of the Union were not delivered on time, on schedule and very importantly, on location. (laughs) Uh, Now, I I know I'm sad already about the (laughs) idea that he may not uh, get to deliver that. And I suspect you are too, Des. But uh, that comment, very importantly, on location,
2: yes. In a uh, in comments before the press in the White House today, he had mentioned earlier as well that he was concerned because it was this great, beautiful setting, it and is. he'd get a lot of attention for it. Which I'm sure it just kills him that he won't get that attention. Of
1: course, of course, it does. But his reference to on location, like it's a film shoot or something, like it's a TV. Yeah, we need to do it on location. So that was the letter that he sent to Nancy Pelosi today. Hours later, in a response to that letter, Pelosi said she is now officially postponing the address entirely until the government is fully reopened. California Democrat told Trump in uh, her own letter that the Democratic-controlled House will not pass the required measure. A resolution is required by both chambers uh, for him to give that nationally televised speech from the House floor. Pelosi said in her letter that, quote, the government is closed Let's work together. On a mutually agreeable date, we can welcome you to the Capitol when the government has been opened. Pelosi's move has uh, left the White House scrambling to devise an alternative plan for the speech, reportedly. Which, uh, as Pelosi noted last week, he could give from the House, from the White House if he wanted to. He could It's up to him. And frankly, at this point, I suspect more people will be tuning in. To see how it plays out, no matter where he does it, he could do it, as I suspect he might, as one of his uh, infamous rallies in in front of a bunch of MAGA wingnuts in any state that he wants.
2: He'd probably like that better. he would get a lot more adulation that way. Yeah,
1: it's up to him. Now, in response to Nancy's response to Donald's response to Nancy's original letter, Trump said that uh, Democrats have become radicalized and don't want to see crime stopped. Here was uh, some remarks in, in the Oval Office. Yes. Uh, in front Not of
2: in the, the Oval Office, but uh, before a meeting, yes.
1: in the Okay.
0: It's really a shame uh, what's happening with the Democrats. They've become radicalized. <laughs> uh, they don't want to see crime stop, which we can very easily do on the southern border. And it really is a shame uh, what's happening with the Democrats so it's too bad with nancy pelosi what she's done it's radical democrats they've become a radicalized part they really have they've become a radicalized party i actually think they've become a very dangerous party for this country
1: dangerous Dangerous. if you listen
0: to what they're saying what they're doing i think they've become a very dangerous a very very dangerous party for this country good god yeah Uh,
2: i think he means they're more of a danger to his self-esteem perhaps
1: Yeah, I know. Uh, I wish they would become radicalized. That would be nice uh, to match the uh, radicalization of the Republican Party, which we have all seen before our very eyes over the past, I don't know how many years at this point. A party that is willing to do to steal a U.S. Supreme Court seat, a party who is willing apparently to steal elections. Talk about some of that in a little bit.
2: And also this shutdown, because remember, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has the votes he needs to open the government without the border wall funding. And he also has the votes to override any veto from Donald Trump. So essentially, the Republicans are assisting Trump in holding the entire country hostage. So that's that's
1: that's pretty radical. Yeah, that's that's
2: that's fairly radical, I would say. And, you know, if the Democrats give in to Trump's border wall demands, he's just going to do it again and again every time he doesn't get exactly what he wants.
1: I love that he says uh, Democrats don't want to see crime stopped and they are very dangerous because I guess his magic wall would bring no no crime. That's fantastic. Uh, and I suspect there are maybe a number of Americans stupid enough to believe him. They were stupid enough to vote for him after all. So uh, go find some of them and deliver your State of the Union speech, Mr. President, if you like. Uh, speaking of cancellations, according to his lawyer in a statement today, Michael Cohen. Now, I've been dubious over the past week or so as to whether his uh, Trump's uh, former personal lawyer, Michael Cohn, whether he would actually be testifying to the U.S. House Oversight Committee, as had been scheduled for uh, February 7. Now, Cohn is currently facing a three year prison sentence after pleading guilty to lying to Congress in order to, among other things, hide negotiations for Donald Trump's attempted project to build a Trump Tower in Moscow, even as Americans were voting in the 2016 presidential election, Cohn has also said that Trump uh, directed a felonious campaign finance conspiracy to make hush money payments just before the election to two women with whom Trump allegedly had affairs. Speaking of, you know, stopping crime, if you just remove this guy from office, it seems like you'd stop a hell of a lot of crime right then in there <laughs> just by anyway, uh, as I've been uh, suggesting over the past week or so. Uh, was likely to happen. Uh, Cohen's February 7 testimony before the U.S. House is now also officially canceled. According to his lawyer, in a statement today, Cohen has indefinitely postponed his congressional testimony citing Trump's verbal attacks on Cohen's family in the days since he scheduled his appearance on Capitol Hill. Cohen had been uh, scheduled to appear at the invitation of House Oversight Chair Elijah Cummings, but backed out because of ongoing threats against his family, his lawyer Lanny Davis said in a statement. Davis said in the statement, By advice of counsel, Mr. Cohn's appearance will be postponed to a later date. Mr. Cohn wishes to thank Chairman Cummings for allowing him to appear before the House Oversight Committee and looks forward to testifying at the appropriate time. He added, This is a time where Mr. Cohn had to put his family and their safety first. It is not clear, according to The New York Times, when Cohn might reschedule the appearance. He's set to begin his three-year prison sentence on March 6th after pleading guilty last year to lying to Congress, financial crimes, campaign finance violations, including the one in which he implicated Donald Trump. Cummings declined to comment, but he could also subpoena Michael Cohn to appear. Cohn's willingness to tell prosecutors and the public what he knows about any possible involvement by Trump in the crimes he has already admitted to uh, has emerged as one of the biggest threats to the Trump presidency, writes The Times. Cohn has spent more than 70 hours with federal investigators from the Southern District of New York who prosecuted the campaign finance violations and uh, from the uh, special counsel investigating Russia's election interference and possible ties to the Trump campaign. Now, Trump has repeatedly suggested on Twitter and on Fox News that Cohen's family should be investigated in a recent interview with Janine P- Piro Pyro. Uh, he called for Cohen's uh, father father-in-law to be investigated without citing any details about why he should be investigated, all of which sure smells to me like witness tampering and or intimidation. Add to it to the uh, obstruction of justice charges that this guy should already be indicted. Yes, indicted for at a minimum. Failing that impeachment uh, and removal from office would be more than appropriate. I mean, the president of the United States threatening an investigation against the family member of his former lawyer who has become a witness against him in several federal investigations. What world is this? That Fox interview, New York Times notes, prompted a rare statement from House Democrats cautioning that any effort to discourage or influence witness testimony before Congress could be construed as a crime. They said in their statement, the integrity of our process to serve as an independent check on the executive branch must must be respected by everyone, including the president. The Democrats wrote our nation's laws prohibit efforts to discourage Intimidate or otherwise pressure a witness not to provide testimony to Congress. Well, now Michael Cohen is uh, citing pressure and intimidation by the President of the United States as the reason that he has now canceled what he even he said he was looking forward to uh, in uh, testifying before the now democratically controlled U.S. House of Representatives. All right, quick break. And we are back with more speaking of the U.S. House of Representatives. There's one seat that's still empty. The one from North Carolina. Got some news about that straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you.
2: Nothing
0: could be finer than
2: to be in Carolina in the morning.
1: Actually, I think no it would be finer be uh, not to be not be in I'm North here. Carolina of late for uh, Republican uh, uh, candidate for the U.S. House, Mark Harris, who is still... Back in North Carolina, not in the U.S. House, and for good reason. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We have uh, spoken, uh, well, before the Christmas and New Year break, we were covering this story every day. And we've been uh, sort of catching up in the weeks since with so much that we haven't gotten to hit this one. But we've got some new news out of North Carolina on Tuesday concerning this disputed is that a nice way to put it that's uh, the
2: nicest way to put it
1: yeah stolen us house election that's is the probably nice the uh, or the accurate and correct way a north carolina judge on tuesday this week ruled that there were not grounds for him to step in and declare victory for the republican In the country's last undecided congressional race, that would be the North Carolina 9th Congressional District U.S. House race. That amid an investigation into whether that Republican's 905-vote lead was boosted by illegal absentee ballot vote collection tactics. Superior Court Judge Paul Ridgway rejected a lawsuit by Republican Mark Harris insisting that he be declared the winner of the race. Harris uh, narrowly leads Democrat Dan McCready in the 9th District contest, according to the reported results. But the numbers, as AP notes, have been clouded by doubt due to allegations that mail-in ballots were altered or discarded by a subcontractor hired by Harris and the Republicans out there in North Carolina, Harris's attorneys had asked the judge to step into the matter because they said that the district in South Central North Carolina urgently needs a representative in Washington, D.C., which it does. Currently, it does not have one. This entire race is on hold because nothing has been certified. The Republicans' attorneys also argued uh, that they were forced into court because the now disbanded state elections board was supposed to have declared him the winner back in November, but they delayed act, uh, action in order to investigate and try to sort out all of the fraud allegations, and in the bargain they missed all of the deadlines specified in state law to certify him as the winner. At least that was the argument from the Republican candidate here. That argument was rejected by a judge in North Carolina on Tuesday. Now, an unrelated lawsuit, unrelated to all of this, but it became related to all of this, resulted in the old state elections board in North Carolina being disbanded by the courts. Again, a separate case. But this was last month when the courts kind of stunned everyone, I think it was just before Christmas, uh, by doing away with the entire state elections board even while the staff's investigation was right smack dab in the middle of looking into uh, these accusations of ballot fraud by a GOP operative who was hired by, uh, by Harris's uh, campaign and by Harris himself. Now, a revamped state elections board will officially be put in place as of January 31. I guess that's next week. And then we'll have a new, uh, we'll have a state elections board once again in the state of North Carolina that can actually take some action on this. Now, I should note that the reason that the elections board in North Carolina was ordered to be disbanded by the courts. Was all due to an attempted Republican power grab way back in 2016 after the state elected a Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, to replace the previous Republican governor, Pat McCrory. The state legislature attempted to take a whole bunch of powers away from the governor. From the executive branch, um, in order, among them, in order to control the uh, state elections board, which is usually something that the executive branch is in charge of, but the Republicans wanted to keep that from happening because a Dem, a Democrat, would now be in charge of it, and in so doing. They passed some laws and they created an unconstitutional board of elections that was then disbanded by the courts just when Republicans, frankly, needed them this year to sort out this matter. So if Republicans are complaining about the lack of a state elections board, they have no one to blame but themselves. What the board had uh, been finding, at least until they were disbanded, is that, yes, the GOP candidate hired a guy who gamed the absentee ballots in at least one, perhaps as many as three different counties in the North Carolina's Ninth District on behalf of this candidate, Mark Harris. Uh, and Mark Harris, it seems, knew that he would do so since this guy, this uh, operative this contractor, this GOP contractor who was hired, he had been investigated for the exact same thing since 2016. But despite the state referring that matter to federal prosecutors, for some reason, Trump's Department of Justice never took any action to prosecute this guy. I'll get to more on that in a moment. But it is the uh, the new state elections board. Once it's convened next week. That uh, according to uh, Judge Ridge Ridgeway in uh, in this case, that that new board, quote, will be in the best position to weigh the factual and legal issues as opposed to the court. He says the court concludes that the petitioners, that's the Republican Mark Harris, have not shown a clear right to the extraordinary relief that Harris had requested when he requested that the uh, the judge announce that he be declared the winner of this U.S. House race. Democrats who uh, this month took control of the House said they would not seat Harris without an investigation into the allegations, and they suggested they may examine the dispute no matter what the state elections board ends up doing. In fact, it does fall to the U.S. House to determine who will uh, uh, who who becomes a member and who doesn't. So the administrative committee in the U.S. House will also, no doubt, be investigating this matter as um, the 9th Congressional District is the one seat in the U.S. House as of now that does not have a, uh, a, a Congress member sworn in for this new session. Lawyers for the Democratic candidate Dan McCready and the state elections board wanted the lawsuit dismissed and for the incoming elections board to ensure a completed investigation. It looks like they're now going to get their wish. North Carolina's since disbanded elections board had twice made bipartisan decisions in late November to withhold finalizing the uh, Harris-McCready election under a provision in state law that allows the state elections board to act uh, in cases where it suspects balloting was tainted by some type of fraud or corruption, as they did here. As a matter of fact, the first vote on this was nine to nothing to not certify this race. There was a second uh, subsequent vote was seven to two to not uh, uh, certify this race from what was a nine person elections board. And I think it was five Democrats and four Republicans, or something like that. And so it was a bipartisan decision not to move forward with this until the investigation was complete. The questions surround the political operative in uh, rural Bladen County, a guy by the name of Leslie McRae Dallas. He goes by McRae. McRae Dallas. He had worked for the Harris campaign at the candidate's insistence, reportedly. Dallas has declined interviews. A statement by his attorney said he is innocent of any wrongdoing. But more than a dozen witnesses signed sworn affidavits, alleging that Dallas or people working for him collected, incomplete and unsealed ballots from voters it's illegal in the state of north carolina for anyone other than a close relative or a guardian to take a person's ballot they took a whole bunch of people's ballot and uh, they were ballots that were not signed that were not yet completed again this is a race in which the republican was is said to have uh won by just 905 votes and there were far more Questionable absentee ballots than that. Uh, Harris, the Republican candidate, is a former Baptist pastor of a megachurch in Charlotte. He said he hadn't learned until late last month that the state elections board had investigated Dowless and others potentially involved in ballot fraud back in 2016. Now that is a little hard to believe, given that Harris, back in 2016, actually lost the primary when he ran uh, the first time two years ago in in the same county in question when he had received, I think it was something like four absentee votes to another candidate who got several hundred absentee votes and that other candidate had hired Dowless that year. And by the way, that other candidate was not even the incumbent. The incumbent ended up winning in 2016 and uh, so Harris hired this guy and just wiped him out, it wiped out the incumbent in the uh, in the primary election in that same county via absentee ballots. And still back in the primary, the Republican primary and the, uh, the, re- the Republican incumbent even said he felt that it was fraudulent at the time, but he was sort of harangued by his own party to shut up about it. So it all moved forward. And Dallas Seems to have done the same thing then in the general election in 2018. Harris, uh, in one of uh, several television interviews that he had uh, conducted earlier this month, said, uh, quote, I would later learn, later learn that obviously there had been things going on that should have been looked into. But everything that had been looked into uh, had come out just perfectly fine. So he says he looked into it and things came out fine. No, no, it didn't turn out fine. And there is plenty of evidence that it didn't turn out just fine. As AP reported just before Christmas last year, North Carolina's top election official issued an urgent plea nearly two years ago. That would be back in 2016 for the Trump administration to file criminal charges against the man at the center of ballot fraud allegations that have thrown a 2018 congressional race into turmoil. North Carolina Board of Elections Executive Director Kim Strack warned back in January of 2017 in a letter that was obtained by AP that those involved in illegally harvesting absentee ballots in rural Bladen County would likely do it again if they were not prosecuted. Josh Lawson, the top lawyer for the Elections Board, said that Strack's memo from 2017 was followed less than a month later with the first of several in-person meetings during which state investigators provided FBI agents and federal prosecutors with evidence accusing Leslie McCray Dallas Jr. and others of criminal activity. Strack wrote in the letter that was dated uh, this letter sent in January 2017. It was dated 10 days after Donald Trump's inauguration. She wrote, quote, our findings to date suggest that individuals and potentially groups of individuals engaged in efforts to manipulate election results through the absentee ballot process. The evidence we have obtained suggests that these efforts may have taken place in the past and if not addressed, will likely continue for future elections. She w- th- This was very clear, as they were telling to federal prosecutors back in January of 2017. And now, mind you, this was precisely when Donald Trump was claiming that massive election fraud by Democrats, remember this? Oh, yes. That that was the cause for his three million vote loss in the popular uh, presidential vote race. He lost by three million and he was out there claiming it was due to fraud by Democrats, by non-citizens, whoever he was making up. He had no evidence for any of it. So he went and created this phony commission to investigate how how could it possibly be that I lost? It must be fraud. All of that was happening, even as his own U.S. attorneys were ignoring real evidence of real fraud in this case by real gop operatives that even a then republican-based election board was begging them to take action on and trump and his people his prosecutors did nothing at the time of the initial reference uh, of this matter to the feds, there was only an acting U.S. attorney in office. But later in 2017, Trump's appointee finally arrived and took no action to prosecute the matter. Instead, he assigned his staff to focus on a totally different priority prosecuting a handful of non citizens who had allegedly voted. The same stuff and nonsense that Donald Trump had been yelling and screaming about and pretending. Had happened, that was the focus of the U.S. Attorney, the federal prosecutors in North Carolina, despite the fact that sitting right in front of them, they had evidence of this guy actually out there stealing votes, hundreds and hundreds of votes. A spokesman for uh, Robert Higdon Jr., who took over as the U.S. attorney uh, under Donald Trump in the Eastern District of North Carolina back in September of 2017, he declined to comment to AP on why no charges were filed following the state's criminal referrals against Dallas and other Bladen County political operatives. By the way, uh, the uh, sheriff out in Bladen County also hired this guy. This uh, McCray Dallas. And also, what do you know, the sheriff got a huge absentee ballot totals in that county. The sheriff, the county sheriff, who's right now in charge of law enforcement in that county. Uh, justice Department spokesman Kelly Locko in uh, Washington also declined to uh, to comment to AP. So they couldn't get a AP couldn't get a response from anybody, basically, at justice on why the hell they didn't prosecute this guy in this case referred to them from North Carolina two years ago. At, but at the same time, that same office, Robert Higdon Jr., his office issued a media release in August of this past year touting charges against 19 foreign nationals, it said, had voted in North Carolina in the 2016 presidential election, during which, by the way, more than 6.9 million ballots were cast in the state of North Carolina. Now, if there was any illegal votes cast in North Carolina, I am all in favor of prosecuting it. But I'm pretty sure that even if all of these 19 accused foreign nationals actually did vote in North Carolina, it did not change uh, the results of that race in the state. The state that, by the way, has very close races. But in the meantime, hundreds and hundreds of votes had been literally stolen from North Carolinians. And this same prosecutor's office did absolutely nothing. Now, on those 19 foreign nationals that Higden was so proud about uh, announcing that they were uh, filing charges against, court filings reviewed by AP show several of the cases built by that office were against longtime legal permanent residents or those who had been granted citizenship at one point, only to have authorities later determine that they had been untruthful on their applications. And then their citizenship may have been later taken away. So there is some confusion, even with even with these 19 foreign nationals that I guess that's the uh, epidemic that Donald Trump described as millions and millions. Even of those 19, at least four of them uh, have now pleaded guilty. There has been only uh, one sentence meted out so far against an Italian man who has lived uh, el- who has lived legally in the US since 1985 and this is one of the things a lot of these people uh, who are permanent residents who are legal residents they don't know that they are not allowed to vote it is not usually them trying to break the law it's them thinking they are allowed to vote
2: Yeah, usually it's a misunderstanding of how the law actually works in specific to their very specific case
1: the judge in uh, in that case the one single case where there was a a sentence uh, gave the guy a two hundred dollar fine and no prison time uh, that, even as a major absentee ballot fraud ring that actually appears to have been stealing elections wholesale on behalf of Republicans, that was ignored by the very same Donald Trump prosecutor. After uh, the uh, federal prosecutors took no action following the plea from the state elections board uh, back in 2016, um Documents show that uh, the the board then referred the case to state prosecutors in January of 2018. No charges were filed before the November general elections happened, uh, which were then marred by the uh, absentee ballot irregularities uh, in Bladen and two neighboring counties. Authorities say Dallas is the subject of an investigation into those uh, irregularities. And Dallas, by the way, is a convicted felon who was hired by Harris to run his absentee ballot operation. Uh, Dallas did not respond to comments back then either uh, to AP back before Christmas and has declined to be interviewed by state investigators as well, despite saying he did nothing wrong. So uh, there's your update on North Carolina. Where this goes from here, we still don't know. We'll find out when there's a new Uh, state board of elections in place or when Democrats take action one way or another. In the meantime, the Democrat Dan McCready has said he's ready to run again if they call a new election, whether a new general election or a new primary election. But that seat sits uh, sits vacant now in the U.S. House. And unfortunately, the people of the Ninth uh, District in uh, North Carolina are not currently represented. Uh, In the meantime, related to the hue and cry from Donald Trump about uh, pretend millions of uh, fraudulent votes back in 2016. uh, You recall that uh, that commission that he uh, set up for a short time was headed by the Kansas secretary of state, Chris Kobach, the nation's most embarrassing secretary of state who is now finally out of office. The great state of Kansas, now that Kobach is gone, is finally moving to roll back the extraordinary powers that they had granted to that con man. Talking about Chris Kobach here, uh, who pretty much made his career out of pretending that voter fraud, particularly by illegal aliens and Democrats, uh, was a scourge that he was there. He, He and only he could stamp out. Well, now that he has been stamped out, uh, Kansans rejected Kobach's run for governor last year. They chose to instead uh, Democrat Laura Kelly. So now with Kobach out, the state legislature is finally preparing to roll back one of the key provisions that had that they had been fooled into passing by Chris Kobach. A big piece of his legacy appears to be on its way out, according to the Wichita Eagle. As Kansas lawmakers moved forward on parallel tracks to repeal the authority of the secretary of state to prosecute election crimes. The state House Judiciary Committee is considering a bill to do that. The uh, House Committee on Corrections and Juvenile Justice is considering a slightly different version requested by uh, the Republican Attorney General Derek Schmidt, who was reelected last November. Either of the measures would revoke the authority of the secretary of state to take people to court if they violate laws related to voting. Kobach had fought for years to get that authority when he served as secretary of state. He finally won the authority back in 2015. He was the only secretary of state in the nation who had the power to uh, to actually prosecute for uh, election crimes. In most cases, they forwarded on to the attorney general uh, to prosecute or to not prosecute. But Kovac, Kovac was convinced that getting that power held the key to stop what he believed was widespread fraudulent voting by illegal immigrants in Kansas So he focused on illegal immigration and voting fraud, and that vaulted him to national prominence uh, with his appearances on Fox News, his appointment as the uh, head of that pretend commission by Donald Trump. The ill-fated voter fraud commission, which shut down after finding no fraud in the uh, 2016 elections, but losing a mountain of lawsuits in the process Based on what Chris Kobach was doing, the way he was mismanaging the entire thing in the three and a half years since he was given the authority to prosecute, Kobach prosecuted between 10 and 15 cases of fraud out of millions of votes that had been cast over the years. None of the defendants were illegal immigrants. Zero. According to a secretary of state's uh, the secretary of state's office in Kansas, two defendants were legal immigrants who were entitled to be here, but not to vote. The spokesman said in most such cases, the folks in question do not know that they are not entitled to vote. And then the other folks in question were of citizens who had double voted Some in the same election, but in different states, usually because they own property in multiple states and thought that they had the right to vote in both of them. They don't. It's a crime. But it is a far cry from the uh, voter fraud epidemic that Donald Trump and Chris Kobach have long been pretending have been uh, going on. Anyway, um, the uh, Republican Scott Schwab, who replaced Kobach as the new secretary of state, He is not a lawyer. He does not want this power. Uh, He wants to refocus uh, the office on its traditional responsibilities of registering businesses and administering elections instead of keeping people from voting. At least that's what he says. So that would leave the prosecution of voting crimes to state and county prosecutors the way it was before Kobach hoaxed lawmakers and the uh, former similarly disgraced governor, Sam Brownback, into letting him do this. Uh, And he just disgraced the state. He failed in all of his his cases. He was ordered to take legal courses by a judge when he failed in these uh, cases. He was such an embarrassment in court. We've just learned this week that uh, Chris Kobach has completed the continuing legal education. He was ordered to take by a federal judge. And guess what? He charged the state $359 for the audio version of the legal education course.
2: Of course he did.
1: So there you go. Uh, Anyway, those bills are moving forward. I suspect they will continue in Kansas to uh, remove those powers and... um, don't know how they're going to remove the stain that uh, Chris Kobach left behind, but I'm sure the uh, the great voters of uh, Kansas will be able to do it. We'll keep our eyes on all of that as it moves forward. Quick break, and we are back with uh, more on the broadcast and a great monologue from Bill Maher last weekend regarding the shutdown and the wall that you'll want to hear. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs>
0: Does that make me crazy?
1: Yeah. Does that make
0: me crazy?
1: It all makes all of us crazy. Welcome back crazy? to the broadcast Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Pope Francis responded to a question about Donald Trump's proposed border wall on Wednesday by saying, "Quote, it is the fear that makes us crazy." He was referring to a fear of migration around the world, according to CBS News. As the Pope heads to Panama today, it's not the first time that the Pope has offered a not-all-that-veiled critique of Donald Trump. Last year, he said, quote, "...a person who thinks only about building walls, wherever they may be, and not building bridges, is not Christian. This is not in the gospel," he said. Well, uh, Democratic leaders in the House of Representatives floated an idea on Wednesday to end the partial U.S. government shutdown um, by giving Trump most or all of the money that he seeks for security along the Mexican border, but for items other than for the wall that he wants. That, as the shutdown um, hits its 33rd day, has left 800,000 federal workers either laid off or working for free, not to mention God knows how many federal contractors. Congressman James Clyburn, the number three House Democrat, said that uh, Democrats would give Trump $5.7 billion for border security with technological tools like drones and x-rays and sensors, as well as more Border Patrol agents, what he is calling a smart wall. But, you know, it's interesting uh, that there there are no Republicans calling for offsets for any of this, for whatever billions are spent trying to appease Donald Trump. But, you know, ask for money for health care or education or infrastructure or the environment or verifiable election systems. And the first thing you will hear is that we can't afford that. Anyway, Bill Maher had a few related thoughts on all of that over the weekend on HBO's Real Time uh, and about what we have learned so far from this more than month long federal government shutdown.
0: And finally, new rules. Someone has to explain if our economy is doing so great. How come everyone is broke? Right. <laughs> to me, the real lesson of this government shutdown is that we found out that federal workers, quintessential middle-class jobs, can't afford to miss one paycheck. I must have seen a hundred stories about furloughed workers that look like this. I literally don't know how I'm going to... Provide for my kids. Furloughed
1: interior worker Mallory Lork rationing her insulin. First
0: off, I can't pay my mortgage. This a matter of life and death for me. I guess this is what Fox means by getting tired of winning. When did it get this desperate? One day you're a lineman for the county, you miss a payday, and you're Ratso Rizzo making coffee in a saucepan. This shutdown is not about the wall. It's about the wallet. And it's more proof that the great American middle-class is disappearing faster than R. Kelly's Facebook friends. (laughs) That is the story here. That our economy no longer creates a middle-class, it sucks it dry. All middle-class means now is that you're poor, but you don't do meth. And remember, this is the good economy where 40% of Americans can't afford a $400 emergency expense and 50 million have nothing saved for retirement. Sorry, but it's not middle-class when your retirement plan is a lotto ticket. When I was a kid, being a middle-class family meant only one breadwinner, two cars, a vacation, and a paneled basement that smelled like cigarettes. College was affordable. Getting sick didn't mean going bankrupt. It can go out to dinner once a week. But little by little, the middle class got squeezed. Now middle class means two breadwinners and one car. And the only reason your daughter can afford college at all is (laughs) sugardaddies.com. Vulture capitalism has done to our middle class what the airlines did to their customers. Because we didn't lose the comforts of being middle class all at once. They took it away from us an inch at a time, like leg room. Back in the day, flying was a joy. The seats were roomy. The chicken looked like something that was once a chicken. And the bathrooms were large enough to enjoy the Mile High Club. Contrast that with today, where there's first class, business class, premium economy, economy, and you. (laughs) I I remember so vividly, I was 37 when I flew first class for the first time and it blew my mind. They were literally carving a roast in the cart, in the aisle, like it was friggin' Thanksgiving up there. Now your food comes in a box. You used to get good stuff on a plane, a meal, drunk. The seat in front of you could recline without starting a fist fight. And just like with the economy writ large, they squeezed incrementally though. First they took away the pillows, then the free booze, the free headset, free luggage allowance, leg room, the whole can of Coke. But here's the thing about squeezing people and keeping them insecure. It virtually ensures that our long-term major problems never get fixed because reducing the debt or repairing our infrastructure, or most importantly, halting climate change requires long-term thinking, which is something you can't really do when the wolf is always at the door. Bangladesh will be underwater in 20 years. I'm underwater today, and that's just how the Koch brothers like it. To have people so caught up in today's problems, we never have time for tomorrow's. Thank you very much, everybody.
1: Well done, Mr. Marr. Bill Marr from uh, HBO's Real Time last week. Food for thought. I think he's right on the money there, Desi Doyen. Yep, I agree. Alright, my thanks to Desi and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's Bradcast, download it anytime for free at Bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. Also, as the wolf remains at our door, we thank those of you who stop by Bradblog.comslash donate. To help keep us on your public airwaves, bradblog.com slash donate as we head to bradblog.com's 15th anniversary, believe it or not. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.